So I take a minute and pray and ask God to help us understand this part of the word rightly, and then we'll jump in. Let's pray together. Father, come now and do good work in our hearts. Uh, You have inspired this portion of the scripture along with the rest of it for our instruction, for our mutual benefit and edification. And we ask that now, Lord, you would help us not just, as James says just a few verses earlier, not just to be doers of your word, but or hearers of your word, but doers also. Lord, may what we hear tonight not just go in one ear and out the other, but rather we pray that you would be at work by the Holy Spirit, transforming us, helping us to love you and love our neighbor as ourselves. And we ask these things because we know that the foolishness of our hearts and the sin of our hearts, even if we've been following you for decades now, Lord, tends to crop up and the seed that is planted here tonight might not bear fruit. And so we pray that you would not allow that to happen and that you would cause our time together here to be fruitful. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, I'm going to read a list of characters from fiction over the last 500 years, and I want you to tell me what they all have in common, other than that they are fictional characters. And whoever answers first gets a, they get my everlasting respect. That's the prize. So here we go. Uh, Oliver Twist, Jane Eyre, Tom Sawyer, Annie, Harry Potter, Batman. Orphans, man, it was easy. I mean, it's right there, so it can't be that hard. All of those people are orphans. Orphans and widows as well, but in particular, orphans, are a, they're a major theme in the history of literature. Some of our favorite stories, some of our favorite movies, some of our favorite books are centered around a hero or a heroine, a protagonist who is an orphan. Why do you think that is? This is not the mutual talking time. This is Luke's talking time. Why do you think that is? I I think it's probably for a lot of reasons, but one might be because, you know, we all love the idea of the rags to riches story. We love the idea of someone who, when we first meet them, finds themselves in an utterly dependent state, in a place of complete neediness, in a place where they can't provide for themselves, they can't take care of themselves, and yet through the circumstances of the narrative, they end up doing amazing things, they end up being a part of amazing things. There's something about that that appeals to that appeals to our literary senses, that appeals to who we are as people. What we want to talk about tonight is the idea of caring for the orphan and the widow. We're continuing our series called Kingdom Come. This is the fourth of five weeks. And the purpose of this series is to do two things. It's to teach us about the values of God's kingdom and particularly about what it looks like for people who follow Jesus, for those who are a part of the kingdom of God, to care as God cares for the poor and for the needy and for the hungry in this world. So it's intended to teach us and it's also intended to motivate us, to inspire us us to go out both together as a church and individually when we scatter throughout the week and do and do these things that the scriptures so clearly and in so many places call us to. And so tonight we're going to focus on these two subsets really of the needy. And those subsets are uh, the orphan and the widow. The scripture refers to the orphan and the widow regularly. And the reason that the Bible refers so regularly to widows and to orphans is because in ancient cultures, just like in our culture today, widows and orphans are those who most often find themselves in positions of need. 
They're those who most often find themselves in an impoverished state. And the last two weeks, we've looked at the ideas of justice and poverty. And in a sense tonight, the idea of caring for orphans and widows is, it's a practical application of those scriptural principles that we've spoken about in the prior two weeks. One of the best ways that you and I practically, that we together as a church, can administer and practice justice and care for the poor is through loving the orphans and the widows in our midst. Because those are people that are more exposed to injustice and to poverty than most other people are. So it's the responsibility of those in the kingdom to protect them and to care for them. And to seek their welfare. And to do that, we're going to just look at this one verse that Alan read for us, James 1.27. And I love this verse because in a sense, what James is doing here is he is compacting all of the Old Testament's teaching on the law of God. On the calling of us who are followers of Jesus to meet the needs of those in this world. He's he's compacting all of it into this one verse. We're not even going to get at the whole verse tonight. We're just going to focus on the part where James says that we are to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. And so what I want to do is break that down, this verse down into three statements that we'll look at together, okay? Caring for orphans and widows is three things. It's more than three things for sure. But for tonight, we're just going to talk about these three. Caring for orphans and widows is... Proof of true religion, it is imitation of God, and it is practical application of mercy and justice. Okay, those are the three points. Proof of true religion, it's imitation of God, and it is practical application of mercy and justice. So first, caring for orphans and widows is proof of true religion. That might be the main point of this verse. I mean, look at it. James says it very, very clearly. Religion that is pure, that's good, that's a good thing, that's undefiled before God the Father is this. I mean, you can't be much clearer in the Bible. He's not mincing any words here to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. When James uses the word there, religion... He doesn't mean a cold, dead orthodoxy, which is what we often associate in our culture with religion now. What he means, rather, is a vibrant, living faith. He's saying here that those who really have a vibrant, living faith, a vibrant, living relationship with God the Father are those who do this, who visit the orphan and the widow. That word visit is super important. It's the word that's used of Jesus in Matthew 25, the parable of the sheep and the goats. Sorry, not used of Jesus, it's used by Jesus when he's referring to the difference between the sheep and the goats. He says, the sheep, those who know Jesus, those who will enter his kingdom at the final day are those who visited the prisoner and the naked and the needy and the distressed. It's the same word. Jesus cares about whether or not we are visiting, where you're caring for, we're meeting the needs of orphans and widows. It's also used of God in Luke 1, when Zechariah prophesies when he meets baby Jesus and he says, The Lord has visited his people, he has redeemed Israel from their sins. Luke chapter 1, around verse 68. To visit the orphan and the widow is to care for them, it's to sacrificially meet their needs. And when you're doing that, you're proving that you really understand what the gospel, what a relationship with God is all about. Listen, I've been hammering this point every week. And listen, this point's been hammering me every week as well as I study for these sermons. Your concern for the widow and the orphan is a reflection of your understanding of the gospel. Perhaps more than any other 
particular category of person. The orphan best represents who you are before God finds you. I read this week um, about a story that was in the LA Times and the Washington Post. It was in all the big papers a couple of weeks ago at the end of March about a baby who in 1989, at the age of one day, was abandoned in between a back alley wall and a dumpster by his mom. And the baby had been lying there for what most believed to be a period of hours on its face, very, very weakly sobbing and crying. And eventually, a few of the people who lived close to that alley heard it, and a cop who was on patrol in the area was called, and he went to look at the baby and found the baby and turned the baby over and performed uh, baby CPR and got the baby to the hospital and managed to save that baby's life. That was in 1989, and now, 20-something years later, that young man has been reunited with this cop who's now retired and saved this baby's life. It's a really good, feel-good story. It's an amazing thing to read about. I was just reading through it again this afternoon. And as I was reading through it again this afternoon, the, the thought struck me again that that's exactly what I am. No, not the cop. The baby. Lying, dying in some dark, cold, damp back alley, abandoned, alone, uncared for, completely and totally helpless. That is, according to the Christian scriptures, the status of every single human being who's ever been born on this planet except for one, Jesus. That is our status spiritually. Do you understand that? If you want to understand Christianity, you really need to get this. In fact, you cannot understand Christianity if you do not get this. You cannot fix yourself. You cannot provide for yourself. You are completely unable to remedy the problem that you are faced with in your own heart. You're just like that abandoned orphan left to die in some smelly alley. And if God had not found us, we would certainly perish. If you really understand that that is the truth of the gospel, that God comes and rescues people that are completely unable to rescue themselves, that in turn moves us out to care for orphans who face those exact same needs physically and materially. You see, I want you to see more how the gospel really does change everything. That's what we talk about over and over here at Christ Church. The gospel, believing the news that God has rescued rebels against his will and against his kingship through the death of Jesus. Believing that news changes, it transforms everything about your life. The gospel turns us outward to care for orphans and for widows, to care for the neediest among us. Because the gospel is a transformative power that gives us new heart motivations to do that. Now, there's a lot of people in our culture that would love the idea and the practice of caring for needy people, for orphans and for widows. There's really three types of people in the world. There's moralists, there's secularists, and then there's those who are following the way of the gospel. The moralist oftentimes will love to care for the needy and for the widow, but almost always the moralist's heart motivation is one of pride. 
And in fact, deep, deep down, there resides in the moralist a contempt for people who are needy, for people who can't take care of themselves, for people who are very overtly dependent upon the help of others. The moralist says to himself, I've gotten to where I am today through hard work, and you can too if you try hard enough and apply yourself. And the reason that the moralist says that and thinks that is because the moralist believes deep down that God favors him, that God is partial to him, that God loves him because he's done a good job, because he's more religious, because he's more wealthy, because he's more successful, because he's the right color, because he's the right religion, because he's the right country, because whatever. He believes that there's something resonant in him that makes him better than those other people who aren't as fortunate. So, yeah, he might help the poor, she might help the needy, but they do it out of a sense of superiority and pride. The secularist, on the other hand, doesn't do it necessarily out of a sense of pride and superiority in the same sense of the moralist. The irreligious person, the person who isn't in church every week, oftentimes has a very, very great idea and great um, external compassion for the poor, for the orphan, and for the widow. But usually the secularist's heart motivation to care for people like orphans and widows is something like this. I will feel more fulfilled. I will be more fulfilled and feel better about my life if I devote time to caring for others. That might sound better to you than the inner heart workings of the moralist. But what I want you to see is that at the end of the day, the secular person and the moral person both believe that caring for others will actually help them. They're not doing it for the good of the other person. They're doing it to add or to pad their own spiritual resume. A secular person believes that caring for others will make him or her reach self-fulfillment or happiness or make his or her life fuller. And the moralist believes that everyone will know clearly how much better, how much smarter, how much more successful he is when he or she helps the orphan. But the gospel offers you a different way, you see, because the gospel tells you at the end of the day, the bottom line is this, you are absolutely no better than any other human on this planet. That's what the doctrine of sin means. Sin tells you that everyone is on an absolutely level playing field before God. Sin tells you that you are actually a lot worse than you think you are. You're so bad that Jesus had to come and shed his blood on the cross so that your sin could be forgiven. When you look at Jesus on the cross, you see there what your sin causes. The gospel levels the playing field but it, because it tells you that you are no better than anyone else. You're all sinners before a holy God. But the gospel also tells you that you're more loved by God than you ever thought. That you're more loved by God even than you oftentimes love yourself. That you're more loved by God than your family loves you. You're so loved by God that Jesus shows you both what your sin costs and what God's love costs. And so when you begin to understand the gospel, you no longer want to care for other people because you're aware of how it will make you look a little bit better or you're thinking it's going to make you feel better or happier about your life. You care for other people because you understand that that's exactly who you are. And that's exactly what God has done. You see, when you really get what religion is, when you really get grace, you will undoubtedly begin to care for the orphan and the widow, for the neediest among us.
That's the first point. And it's the longest one. These second two are shorter. So second, caring for the widow is imitation of God. We see that it is proof of true religion. It's proof that you really begin to understand the gospel, that it's transforming you. And it's also imitation of God. So look back in 127. James says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father. You see that? Why throw that clause in? That's a little bit strange. That's not necessary. Most commentators think that James put those four words before God the Father in to chapter 1, verse 27 to communicate to us that when you care, when you visit the orphan and the widow in their affliction, you're not just proving that the gospel is changing your life, but you're actually imitating God himself. You are being like him. You're bearing the image of God that is indelibly imprinted on your life. God is a God, the real God, the only God is a God who identifies himself with the poor, the needy, the abandoned, and the impoverished. Listen to these verses. And this is just a small sample size, by the way. Deuteronomy 10, the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty, and the awesome God, who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and he loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Exodus 22, you shall not mistreat any widow or fatherless child. If you do mistreat them and they cry out to me, I will surely hear their cry and my wrath will burn. Deuteronomy 24, you shall not pervert the justice due to the sojourner or to the fatherless or take a widow's garment in pledge, but you shall remember that you were a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you from there. Therefore, I command you to do this. When you reap your harvest in your field and forget a sheaf in the field, don't go back to get it. It shall be for the fatherless and the widow that the Lord your God may bless you. It shall be for the sojourner, the fatherless and the widow. When you gather the grapes of your vineyard, don't strip it afterwards. It shall be for the fatherless and the widow. You shall remember that you were a slave in the, in Egypt, the land of Egypt. Therefore, I command you to do this. Psalm 68, father of the fatherless and protector of widows is God in his holy habitation. Psalm 146, the Lord watches over the sojourners. He upholds the widow and the fatherless, but the way of the wicked he brings to ruin. You really understand who God is? Most people in suburban San Antonio would answer yes to that question. Yes, I know who God is, and I know what he's like. But do you really? Let me tell you who God's like. God is like Hagrid from Harry Potter. Remember Hagrid? Hagrid's a big, huge dude that is sort of the, the servant of Hogwarts, the magical castle. And in the very first Harry Potter movie, the very first Harry Potter book, one of the first scenes, Harry, who's been an orphan from the day he was born almost, is living with his really, really mean aunt and uncle who scorn him and abuse him and treat him horribly. And he lives underneath the stairs in this tiny, tiny little cellar room. And one day there's a beating on the door when Harry's turning 11 or 12 years old. And eventually the door gets kicked down and in walks this giant of a man named Hagrid. He's come to take Harry to the school of wizardry, Hogwarts. And he looks at Harry and he says, Harry, it's time to go. And Harry looks at him with a strange look on his face, a quizzical look. What are you talking about? And it becomes evident to Hagrid that Harry has no idea who he is. And so he gets down and looks Harry in the eye and he says, you are a wizard, boy. 
And at that moment, Harry's eyes light up and he realizes maybe for the first time in his life that he does have a home. That there is a place where he belongs. That someone loves him. That there is someone out there who can identify with him and care for him, even though he feels completely forgotten, abandoned, and left to rot in the cellar underneath the stairs. That's exactly what God is like. That's exactly what he has done for his people, for you. He has come at great cost to himself, crashed down the door that is imprisoning you apart from him and rescued you by his own power. He's looked you in the eye through Jesus and said, you have a home. You are mine. I am yours. Come with me. That's what the real God's like. Maybe you've never understood God in those terms. Maybe when you think of God, you think of him as distant or far off or removed from the daily affairs and concerns of your life. The Holy Spirit, listen, he is intent on reminding us here that God cares deeply about your needs. How do you approach a God like that? You may ask. How do I even begin to talk with him? God identifies with you the most when you feel the most needy. Isn't that the point here? God loves to dwell with, to live with those who are able to come to him and say, I can't handle this on my own. God, the real God, does not have time for those who pretend that they have it all together. No, the real God comes. He condescends. He brings himself and the fullness of his life and truth and grace to those who, in many ways, are able to identify themselves with the Harry Potters of the world, the orphans and the widows of the world, the lonely of the world, the needy of the world, the sad of the world. If that's how you feel, then you might be closer to God than you think. If that's been the story of your life, then don't think that God has written you off. No, he draws near to those who will humble themselves. Will you humble yourself and say, Father, I am completely adrift in this world, orphaned, all alone. Help me. God loves to hear the cries of people who find themselves in just that situation. Caring for widows and orphans is proof that you get the gospel. It's proof of true religion. It's proof, it's imitation of God. And then finally, and really quickly, practically, more practically perhaps, caring for the orphans and widows is a practical application of justice and mercy. So James here is considering, or sorry, he's condensing the the teaching of the Old Testament, the teaching of the kingdom of God on mercy and justice into these practical considerations, into this one verse. Uh, Caring for the widow and the orphan is a very, very practical, a a very, very tangible way for you and for me to inhabit kingdom values in our world. And that's still the case today. And here's what I want to say at this point. You don't necessarily need to wait for the church to provide you with an opportunity to serve the orphan and widow before you can serve the orphan and widow. This is something that you can begin to craft into the rhythms of your life and do now. 
And what I want to do, frankly, is challenge you and motivate you by God's grace to do so. Yes, Christ Church longs to care for the orphans and the widows in our midst and in this city. And we will do that by God's grace and with his help. And we want you to participate in it with us. But you can also right now begin to go and meet the needs of the orphans and the widows in our midst now. How do you do that? Let me just give you a couple of practical ways. And the first is by far the most serious and the most difficult. Adoption. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm not in that spot, Luke. And I understand that, and that's okay. But some of you might be. Perhaps God has put it on your heart, a desire to have another child or to have a first child, not necessarily through biological birth, but through adoption. I would commend that idea to you and encourage you to speak with the number of people in this church who have adopted children. I'm happy to give you a name or two if you would like to talk about it. Adoption, perhaps, is the single best way in our current day to care for the orphan. And there are literally hundreds of thousands of children in need of a home that's simply going to love them. Have you ever considered such a thing? If you think it's radical and crazy, then you're maybe beginning to understand the way of Jesus. Adoption, something to consider. A couple of other things that are less life-altering, but very, very practical for many of you. Volunteering at a place like Resources for Women. Our own Dave and Shara Pierce run Resources for Women, which is a resource center for pregnant moms who oftentimes have unwanted pregnancies. And so they counsel moms in a stress-free, guilt-free environment and encourage them to choose to keep the baby, to choose life. They provide um, counseling for the moms. They provide ultrasounds for the moms. They provide clothing for the babies. They provide doctor's exams and nurses' exams. And Shara would be happy, I know, to speak with you about beginning to volunteer at a place like Resources for Women regularly. It's something you could do once a month for a couple of hours, once a week for an hour that would make a very, very real difference, a very, very quick impact in our own neighborhood. Talk to Shara. You could spend time at a retirement home on a Friday night, instead of go see Avengers, Age of Ultron. That doesn't sound super exciting, I know. But maybe you have a family member who lives in a retirement home right now, as I do. My own grandparents live in a retirement home over by the medical center. And I'll tell you, I've been a pastor for a number of years now, and retirement homes are some of the darkest, saddest places in America. People are lonely as they lay dying and sit dying. And to see young people come brings a smile to their face. That's another thing. For you to consider. You could consider mowing lawns or taking meals or watching kids or fixing broken things for the widows in our midst. And by the way, I would include under that rubric moms who are single and moms whose husbands are deployed. Very regularly on the city, our local community network, you see needs come up from some of our moms whose husbands are currently deployed serving the country, or um, single moms. And that's a great thing for you to very, very simply care for the needy in our midst. You can get involved in a tutoring or a mentor ministry. There's a place right down the road here on 1604, about a mile and a half away, called Boysville. It's a shelter for orphaned men and women. It's been around since the 30s. It's a wonderful ministry that Christ Church supports and believes in. 
And they have regular need for tutors to come every Monday through Thursday from 3 p.m. to 6 p.m. That's a very easy thing for you to do. You could take your missional community group and sponsor a birthday party at a place like Boysville. You can spend an afternoon at Resources for Women. You could do a cleaning day for one of our single moms or widows. There's all sorts of ways for you right now to go in the name of Jesus and in the power of the gospel and visit the orphan, and the widow in their affliction. Will you do that? Do you believe that God has done it for you? If you do, then don't stay inward. Allow that to turn you outward. And in gospel, Holy Spirit, resurrection power, go and serve in the name of Jesus because Jesus has come and served you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, let's pray. Our Father, we love you and we thank you for the great depth of the love with which you have loved us. We thank you that when we, are, when we were dead in our trespasses and sins, as Paul tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, you made us alive together with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly places. We thank you that when we found ourselves completely and utterly powerless, unable to help ourselves in even a minuscule way, broken, Beyond our ability to fix or mend, you came. You saw us lying on the road and you rescued us. You paid the price that was necessary to pay for our neediness to be removed, for our guilt to be removed, for our sin to be removed. Father, you have shown to us grace that is so abundant, that is so plenteous, that we could never begin to match it in our own lives. But we do pray, Father, that you would help us by faith to believe that you have done this for us. And we pray that that belief in the gospel would help us in our own ways as fallen, frail humans who are seeking to follow Jesus to go out and visit the orphan, and the widow in their affliction. Help us to do this, we pray in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen.